0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, I, I just want to say a word of appreciation for Pastor David this time. Uh, uh, he made the clock on the back wall like three times the size it normally is, so I can see where I'm going. So uh, <clears throat> matter of fact, maybe you should thank him as well, uh, that, uh, that I have that reminder of how much time I've got. So um, no, but uh, I want to thank Pastor Deal for giving me the opportunity to uh, be up here again today sharing the word for you. But I, I just kind of like, who's excited? to be here today. Like, yeah? All right. Like, this is cool, right? We get to be together. We get to be together as a family of God. Like, I'm even wearing, like, new socks today. Like, th- I mean, this is a big deal. You know, I'm trying to up my sock game. Actually, let me put this down so I don't drop it. But, you know, I mean, this, I usually wear just like, you know, I got some nice pattern there. I usually just wear like black or gray, and, and so I'm, I'm rocking my socks. <laughs> like, because it's a big deal. When we get together like this, whether you're online, whether you're here with us in the Unity Hall or you're watching this later, like it's important that we gather together like this. And that's one of the reasons why we push our groups so hard because you know what? It is not good for us to be Lone Ranger Christians. That's not how God intended us to be. If you look at the book of Acts, the early church, like they did stuff together. And that's why we have all these groups. And, and I got to tell you, like the, the group that I'm most excited about course is mine. Uh, I'm, I'm leading a group with Mr. Aaron and it's called Outdoor Adventure Group. So if you are into like hiking or camping or maybe you want to learn more about the plants and animals around here or you want to learn like some cool skills like how to start a fire without matches or a lighter, uh, anything like that, we're going to be learning a lot of those skills. We're going to go out and we're going to practice them. And, and, you know, so it's not like we're doing a three-day survival hike where all you have is a stick, you know, that, that's not what we're doing, but at least not at first. Um. <laughs> No, like, I would die if we did that, okay, so, but no, we're just going to do that, so check that out, check out all the other groups that are available for you, sign up for something, and like Nate said, if you don't see anything that sounds cool, start your own group, be like, all right, hey, I like to, I don't know, work on cars, so we're going to start a car maintenance group, all right, awesome, or, you know, I like to knit, we, we actually had somebody do a knit group last time, like, I wish I had time, I'd learn to knit, that's kind of cool, all right, so anyway. That's not what we're talking about today. So if you want to learn to knit, you're on your own. Uh, let me ask you this. When was the last time you went to a restaurant and had to wait for a table? Anybody? Like, yeah, last night? Okay, yeah. I mean, if you took your Valentine out, you probably had to wait for a little bit, uh, you know, um, right? How many people like waiting for a table at a restaurant? Really? You actually like that? Oh, okay, that's why. So she gets to use dad's phone while she's waiting. Okay, that's cool. How many of you that don't get to use dad's phone like waiting? Okay. Like, you know, we always have to wait on stuff, right? Whether we're in the line at the grocery store or at the BMV or, or whatever, you know, waiting for a table at a restaurant. Like, I can handle waiting to a point, but the one that absolutely gets me the most is waiting at a restaurant. It's so dumb, Like I'm waiting here for this, you know, like 20 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever. Like there's a rally's right around the corner. You know, I can get a big Buford and I'm good. You know, like I don't have to wait 30 minutes for some microwave pasta or whatever at Olive Garden. Don't tell them I told their secret. Um, But, you know, my wife, she likes restaurants. She likes to go out on a date with me. And so sometimes I just deal with it. And we go out, and we sit. You know, I'm with her, so it's cool. She's my best friend. And, and uh, you know, we have a nice date. And, and uh, then I stare at rallies as we drive past on the way home. Uh, if they had a rallies in Auburn, I'd be in trouble. Uh, but, you know, or sometimes we go out with my family, uh, like for somebody's birthday or like my side. And when, when it's my sister's family and my parents and my family, you know, it's 11 of us. So if you ever go to a restaurant at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and you say, yeah, there's 11 of us, you know, and the host is like... <coughs> You know, snickering, like, you're going to be here three hours, buddy, you know, waiting on that table, right? I hate waiting, but I'm willing to wait for a little while under the right circumstances. But really, nobody likes waiting, right? Especially when it comes to prayer, right? We want what we want, and we want it right now. Like, I don't want to wait. Like, okay, God, I need this. Let me have it. God, I want this. Let me see it. And see, that's what we're talking about today. We're in this series about shameless audacity and prayer. And so today we're talking about like what do we do when we're in the long middle? And the long middle is the space between when we first pray and when we get our answer. Because sometimes that middle is really long. And it can start to hurt. And it can start to make us think is God there? Does God care? Is he even listening? And that is what we're talking about. But I want us to think as well, could it be that maybe God is up to something in that long middle? That maybe there's more going on than we might understand. And see, we're not the first, right? The Bible is full of people who had that long middle, who are stuck there. I mean, you can't read the Old Testament or the New Testament and not see it. And see, I think it's easy for us sometimes to think, oh, well, You know, that was different for them because they were special people. Like, you know, King David, man, he was special, right? Or Moses, he was special. Or Jesus, or Paul, or whoever, right? But see, the thing is, except for Jesus, none of them knew how it was going to turn out. They had to have faith just like we do. We can look back and read the end of their story and we know, yeah, it worked out great. But they didn't know that. And they had to have faith. And God, in the middle, just as much as we do now. Because it's easy for us to feel alone when God isn't answering. Anybody ever felt alone? So I want us to look today at a night when Jesus put the disciples in a boat and went off to pray by himself. Now, before we get there, though, you, you all know, if you've heard me speak before, you know how much I love maps. And like, I, I just love maps in general. Anybody else just like to look at maps? Okay. Me and Grace? All right, cool. Alex Hand was up too. All right, so there's three of us. Cool. I just want to tell you that the the first service must be the nerdier one because a lot more people raise their hand. Um, But I'd love to just look at maps. Actually, I'm reading a book called Map Head by Ken Jennings. If you remember him, he's that uh, freak of nature that won Jeopardy all those times. He wrote a book about maps, and I'm loving it. But, um, okay, we're going to not talk about that anymore. But... um, (laughs) Now, I love maps just because I think maps are cool, but also because I think when we see a map of like the places that we're reading about in scripture or whatever, it gives us a sense of time and place. It helps us to see that this is not just something that somebody wrote down. These things really happened and they happened in a real place, in a real time. And so I have a map for today, if we can put that up there. So this is where our story takes place today. Um, And... uh, (laughs) Sorry, you know, I... I like maps and dumb jokes, okay? So, all right, no, we, uh, so yeah, we're going to be right about there. Um, now, if we could have the real map up there, please. So here's our real map. So this is taking place at the Sea of Galilee here, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, that's, that's not COVID. I'm, I'm fighting a little bit cold. I had a test just last night, so we're good. So don't, you know, start running out the exits. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 24. So they're out there, and this storm comes up. Now, I want to point out that several of the the apostles were actually fishermen. They made their living on this body of water, okay? They knew it very, very well. So for them to be freaking out in the middle of the storm means it had to have been a big one. Because it was just a regular little old storm, you know, they dealt with that every day. And before we start thinking that the Sea of Galilee, because it's called a lake in here, is like, you know, Lake James or Lake Wawasee or, or whatever, It was 8.1 miles wide, 141 feet deep, and 64.4 square miles. Lake James is 10 square miles. So it's much, much bigger. And in case you were like, oh, eight miles, that's not that far. But if you're in a boat trying to get across this water, okay, eight miles is the distance from here to the cruise auction park. So that's the distance they're trying to go, and there's a storm, right? Okay, so they're actually in serious danger. And Jesus is not with them. He's off by himself. So maybe you feel like that in the storm that you're facing today. Maybe you're in a storm of a medical diagnosis. Maybe it's a financial situation for you. Maybe it's a relationship storm. Maybe it's an addiction, a custody battle, a loved one who's left you or gone astray. Maybe it's just everything that's still going on with COVID. And we're looking around because we're in this storm and we're in this boat and the waves are high and the wind is coming and the water's coming over the side. We're like, where are you, God? You promised you would save me. Where are you? And I want to talk about that today. I want to share three thoughts about when we're in the long middle. And the first one, what'd you say, Joe? happy little Yeah, I love my Bob Ross mug. Um, <clears throat> the middle is about more than the what. See, the disciples were focused on what they wanted. They wanted to get out of that storm. They wanted to get across to the other side where they would be safe. And when we're in the middle of a storm, we want what we want. We want the financial problem to be over. We want the relationship to be restored. We want our bodies healed, whatever the case may be. You know, our our first response is, God, get me out of this. This is painful. I don't like this. But let me tell you something, church. God is not in the get-me-out-of-this business. God is in the transformation business. I don't remember who said it. I I was going to look it up. It might have been Leonard Ravenhill. But uh, uh, a very famous theologian that I can't remember right now because I didn't write it down uh, said, God is not in the business of making bad men good. He is in the business of making dead men live. And that's what our faith walk is about. It's not about me becoming a nicer Todd. No. It's about me becoming a Todd who reflects the image of Christ. That's what it's about. God is focused on us, our heart, and who he is changing us to be. See, the purpose of our life on earth, again, is not that we're comfortable. The purpose of our life on earth is not that we get everything we want. I mean, God's a good God. He gives us gifts. He gives us blessings, yes. But the purpose of our lives here on earth is that we bring glory to God, we make disciples, and we be conformed to the image of his Son. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created uh, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, that new nature is not something that we do. We put it on when it was given to us through our faith in Christ. And it's Jesus that provides it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's what he's doing. You know, I can always tell when I'm getting really excited Because my voice starts to get higher and higher. And, and, you know, before long, it's like Mickey Mouse is up here preaching like, you know, and the Lord said, you know, know. I'm like, yes, I'm getting excited. Now, this transformation into making us more like Jesus, that's not always fun. It's not always easy. How many people have ever seen the show Forged in Fire? One of my favorite shows. I love it. It's where they get these uh, group of knife uh, bladesmiths in, and, and uh, you know, they have to make a knife in like three hours, and I, I like to fool around with knives in my spare time. I've built some and, and stuff, and people are like, oh, why don't you go on that show? Like, because I would be like a three-year-old on a tricycle compared to somebody piloting a spaceship, okay? Like, I'm not even, like, I don't even know where to start to do the things that they do, especially in three hours. Like, this is a really big deal that they're able to do this, and You know, you you watch the show, and they take this just hunk of useless metal, and they stick it in the forge, and it's super, super hot, and they pull it out, it's like white hot, and they start banging on it with a knife, with a hammer, you know, and they're banging on the anvil, and there's sparks going everywhere, and they stick it back in the fire to heat it up again, and they're banging, this time they go over the hydraulic press, and it's like, you know, you pull it out, and they're banging on it again, and in the heat... And they're shaping it with the hammer into the shape. And then they take it when it's red hot and they plunge it into this oil and it flames up to quench it and stuff. And then they go over to the grinder. They're grinding off the parts that they don't want and sparks are going everywhere. And then finally, after all that heat and hammer and grinding and all of that, they have this beautiful, useful knife. But Man, it took a lot of work to get there, didn't it? See, and that's how it is with us. Especially somebody like me, who like, you know, my metal was more messed up than hopefully most of yours are, right? Like, God had a lot more forging he had to do for me. You know, but I know y'all are like, you're shiny and, you know, already, right? But no, like, God has, to, there's a keyboard there. Uh, <laughs> God has to do work in our lives, and it's not always fun. See, in our American culture, it doesn't teach us that. You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, well, those are not bad things. Please don't misunderstand. I'm a patriot. I love my country. I'm all for life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But see, that's not always God's priority for us. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. And Christ-likeness, holiness, is actually the root of happiness. Look, what? That sounds so weird. But look at Psalm 1. The very first psalm in the Bible, verses 1 through 3, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. A man named Matthew Henry 1700s, he wrote a gospel or a commentary on the Bible, which actually I still use. A lot of people still use it. It was amazing. But he has this to say about that passage we just read. Those only are happy, truly happy, that are holy, truly holy. Goodness and holiness are not only the way to happiness, but happiness itself. See, that may sound kind of strange to us, but, but listen. If I get a new dishwasher and I want to learn how to use it, so that I can get the most out of it, so I can use it properly, so I don't damage it, so that it lasts me a long time. What am I going to do? Am I going to try to figure it out on my own? Maybe some people do. And then, you know, like it explodes, and, you know, you got soap all over your kitchen. Right. But if you read the owner's manual, it tells you what to do. It tells you how to use it properly. It tells you how to use it to best effect. And let me tell you something. You know who wrote the owner's manual? the people that built the dishwasher, right? And you know what our owner's manual is? This, it's the Bible because God built us, God created us. And if you wanna know how to run your life, read the owner's manual. Yeah. But so many of us go through life just pushing buttons and then we're surprised when it blows up. I mean, I know I'm there sometimes. I'm like, well, I hit the heated rinse when I had plastic in there, you know? Right, right? Second thing we want to see is that God is at work even when it doesn't seem like it. So we're going to pick up our story of the disciples verses 25 through 27. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. See, these disciples had been out for a good chunk of the night. They're in this boat they're in a storm. When you're in a storm, time changes, doesn't it? Minutes can feel like hours. Hours can feel like days. Days feel like weeks. Weeks feels like months. Months feel like years. These guys, they were exhausted. They were cold. They were wet. They were discouraged. They were scared. They were unsure. Sounds like some of us, doesn't it? We're tired. We're exhausted. We're unsure. We're afraid because we're in the middle of the storm and we don't know what to do. Now, we don't know for sure what Jesus was doing while he was on the shore up in the hills praying. I mean, we know he was praying with his heavenly father, but, you know, was he walking around? We don't know. But one thing that we do know, and we can get this because we know what scripture says and we know God's heart towards us, we can be confident that because God loves us more than we can even imagine, that his eyes and his thoughts were with his disciples in that storm the entire time. It's not like he just sent them off and wasn't paying attention. I believe that his thoughts and his mind were on his disciples in the boat the entire time. And we can be confident that in the storm that we are in, his thoughts and his heart and his mind and his eyes are on us in the middle of the storm that we are in too. Because we know who he is. We know who the Bible tells us that he is. And see, I want to point out at the very end, you know, Jesus is walking across the water and stuff, and and he gets there, and he doesn't say, hey, calm down, guys, I'm, I'm, you know, it's me. No, he says, I am here. See, a literal translation of that phrase is literally, I am. So he says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am. Now, why would he say that? Because when Moses met God at the burning bush, and he said, who are you? God answered and said, I am. And it's that exact same phrase. And Jesus is using it here to say, not just like, hey, your teacher's here. I'm gonna get you out of this. No, he's saying, I am God. He's identifying himself with Yahweh, the Hebrew God. And he's saying, the same God that your ancestors worshiped is me. And I'm here and I'm with you now. So there's nothing to be afraid of. So take courage because I am. Let me tell you something, church. That same God is here with us. Right now, in this room, through the Holy Spirit. He is in your life. If you are a Christian, he is with you everywhere you go. Whatever storm you are in, he is with you. He was with me when I had cancer. Now, thank God my cancer, there's no such thing as like minor cancer, but I had a very treatable kind. I just had to have surgery and 10 radiation treatments. Thank God for that. I've been cancer-free for eight years now, feeling great. But, you know, that's still, when you hear that C word, that's pretty scary. When my ex-girlfriend broke up with me and I was shattered and depressed to the point of considering suicide, he was with me. When I lost my job, shortly after Brennan was born, I had two kids to take care of and a wife and no job. He was with me in that storm. And he is with you for whatever storm you are into, whether it's job loss, relationship loss, grief, health problems, fear, whatever. I'm telling you right now, church, he is with you today in that storm. Psalm 118.6 says, the Lord is with me, excuse me, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? So your boss is mad at you? If it's undeserved, if it's deserved, apologize, if it's undeserved, the Lord is for you. What can mere people do for you? If your neighbor is upset with you, if somebody else is upset with you, and it's undeserved, what can people do to you? The Lord is for you. See, our God is not a do nothing God. Our God is not just a God that sits up in heaven and says, All right, go do this. I'm going to kick my feet up. No. Our God is a God who fulfills his promises and comes through. We actually sang about that, right? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Did you catch that? All of the promises of God are yes. Right now. Now, you may not have the result of that promise yet. Like, I'm certainly not like Jesus yet. But I have a promise from God that says someday I will be. We have a promise from God that someday we will be with him in heaven. We have a promise from God that someday our bodies will be totally healed. Right? We have all of these promises. And even if we don't have the full outcome of them yet, we can have faith that they are true because the Bible says that all of God's promises are true. In the middle, it's not ours to know but to trust. How many people like to know stuff? Okay. I like to know stuff. Like, you know, we've talked before about how I like read archeology span and stuff for fun. And, you know, cause 'cause I wanna know stuff. I wanna know what happened. I wanna know what it was like. And, you know, honestly, I'm nosy. Anybody else nosy? Okay, just me, good. All right. I saw some of my teens raise your hand. Thank you for your honesty. We'll talk later. No, I'm kidding. Um, Like, I, I just, I want to know, like, you know, somebody's over there talking in the corner. I'm like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Oh, wow, look at the lights. Those are nice lights. Oh, hey, you guys are talking there. Sorry, I didn't see. No, okay, I'm, I'm kidding about that, right? But no, sometimes we want to know what's going on. A lot of times it's because we're like, I wonder if they're talking about me, you know? A lot of times that nosiness is out of insecurity, right? Because we don't know what's happening, and if we don't know what's happening, we can't control it, Right? And the same thing happens when we're in the storm, because we're not the ones that are in control. How many of you can control a rainstorm? I better put my hand down. (laughs) If I don't put my hand down, we're going to have drought later this summer and you'll call me. (laughs) Right? We can't control the weather. We can't control that kind of storm. So what makes us think we can control physical storms? Instead, we just have to trust the one who we know can control the storms, Verse 28 through 33, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. I love Peter. Peter is one of my absolute favorite people in the Bible for several reasons. One, because of the amazing transformation that God worked in his life, right? We read about the Peter in the book of Acts versus the Peter that we see in the gospel. I mean, what an amazing transformation. I mean, let's be honest, Peter's kind of a bonehead sometimes, right, and that makes me feel better, because I'm a bonehead sometimes, too, and I, was, I heard somebody say, not sometimes, who was, no, I'm kidding, um, <laughs> right, but like, what kind of test is this, you know, they're afraid that this is a ghost coming, right, like, I mean, demons lie, so, you know, you know, Peter's like, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come over, and, you know, maybe it's a demon, and the demon's like, yeah, come on out, buddy, and, you know, Peter's like, you know, you're right, like, I would have come up with a different test, come on, <laughs> No, but maybe Peter has more faith than I do. But So Peter gets out of the boat. That's not what I wanted to talk about. But, uh, but when he saw... So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are... The son of God, they exclaimed. A couple of things I want to point out in here. Peter went over the side of the boat, right? He had faith that this was Jesus and Jesus was telling him to come walk on the water with him and he was doing it. And then what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw the wind, he saw the waves. It's like, it's not the first time he realized the storm was there. He knew it was there, but while he kept his eyes on Jesus, the storm didn't matter because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. And it was when he took his eyes off of Jesus that he started to sink. Now, I think Peter did something really great here. We don't know how far out he was on the water, but he didn't try to get back in the boat. How many of us, when we step out of the boat and we start to sink, what do we do? We try to get back in the boat. Anybody ever done that? We try to go back to our old ways because the new way, the way of faith is frightening. But Peter said, Lord, save me. He was sinking but rather than trying to get back in the boat, he reached out to Jesus. And of course, Jesus grabbed him. Jesus wasn't going to let him go under. And I think sometimes, like, when I teach, you know, people ask me sometimes, well, Pastor Todd, what, what version or translation of the Bible should I use? And my answer is always, the one that you will actually read and be able to understand. Like, you know, maybe for you, that's New King James. Maybe it's the NLT, maybe it's the ESV, or the ABC, or the QR9, or the WKRP, you know, whatever it is, right? Right. Um, but whatever version or translation of the Bible, as long as it's a reputable one that you will read, is fine. You know, I know Pastor Deal, he really likes the New King James. You know, that's the one he's used for a long time. Me, personally, I like the ESV for my study. When I teach the teens and when I teach here, I use the NLT because it uses more modern language. It doesn't change the meaning. It just changes some of the words used. Like the old King James, actually, it uses a phrase, the quick and the dead. You know, we think, oh, the quick and the dead, is like, you know, like a cowboy with a six-shooter. I mean, there's even a Western named that, right? But it's not talking about, like, speed. In that sense, it means living. But the word usage has changed over time, right? So if you read that and you don't understand that, you're not going to understand that passage, okay? So there's nothing wrong with those older versions, but I think sometimes when we read them, because we don't understand the language, we can kind of hear, you know, like, Jesus walking around like, yea, verily, I say unto thee, You know, like this, you know, heavenly, like, Zen master type thing. And that's not it at all. Like, Jesus had emotions. I believe that Jesus laughed. Okay, no lightning bolt, so I must be good, right? Like, you know, I believe that the, you know, you get a group of guys together, they're going to crack jokes. You know? Do you think the disciples didn't, like, pull pranks on each other and stuff? I think they probably did. Right? And so I don't think that here Jesus is like, Peter, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? You don't know, no. Why? Because we know Jesus' heart. And the writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest, Jesus, who knows our frailties, who knows what we're like, who went through life exactly like us, but never sinned. But he still knows what we're like. He knows how we struggle. And so I don't believe he's like, you suck, Peter. No, he's like, Peter, let me help you. Can, can I say suck in church? <laughs> I hope so because I just did. Um All right, now we're waiting for the shepherds' hooks to come and pull me off the platform. But No, but instead, Jesus is like, Peter, why do you still have such little faith? You've seen me do these amazing things. See, the disciples, all they wanted was rescued. But Jesus had a bigger purpose for them. Jesus wanted them to have their faith increased by seeing Peter walk across the water too. Well, if Peter can do it, I can do it. My faith really gets increased when I see other people praying for miracles. My faith gets increased when I see people laying hands on people and somebody's getting healed. My faith gets increased when I see somebody get their miracle. I think, well, if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. All right, When we see that working in someone else's life, that's encouraging to us and it builds our faith too. But so many times we miss our opportunity to walk on the water because we're too busy cursing the storm and wanting to be rescued from it. Sometimes we mistake our calling for position. Like, well, I feel like God has called me to do this, but I'm working in a factory right now. Are you? Work out your calling in the factory where you're working. You know, it took me a long time. I knew God had some kind of calling on my life, but I'd been a Christian for 14 years before God called me into the ministry. And I finally had gotten to the point where I was working out my calling, God called me to walk through life with people, to love them, to share the gospel with them. When I was finally walking that out at Shepherds in Kinderville, we started a Bible study and, and, uh, in the mornings, and it was great, and, and things were changing. And it was awesome. And it was right then when I finally started walking out my calling that God moved me into the ministry. Now, that may not always happen, but I love the story, and I'm allowed to tell this story because Pastor Deal's told it publicly before. But, you know, Steve Hauser Pastor Deal worked together at a hydraulic pump factory. And Steve would go over to Pastor. He wasn't Pastor time, obviously. He'd go over to him and, and share the gospel with him, and Pastor Deal would cuss him out because it would make him go away. And uh, so, like I said, he shared that, so I can share that story too. So I'm not going to have a meeting on Tuesday. Um, but, right? But he was planting seeds, Steve was. And those seeds finally bore fruit. And if he can do that at a hydraulic pump factory, if God can work through them at a hydraulic pump factory, he can work through you wherever you are. So what are we yelling in the storm? Make it stop or increase my faith. Listen, I get it. I love to do camping and hiking and stuff. I like historical reenacting. I know, like, more nerd alert, right? But, you know, I dress up like a pioneer, and I go to these events, and it's educational, right? I do it for the kids so that they can learn. That's why I do it. Um, actually, I'm going to be at DeKalb Middle School this Tuesday doing a demonstration all morning for the different uh, humanities classes. I'm like, I'm going yeah, like, I'm excited about that. You know, and the kids will probably be asleep, but they need naps. But, uh, you know, but, so I love doing this. And, you know, so I go out for like two days, and we sleep in the dirt, you know. And, and uh, you know, it's so much fun. By Sunday night, you know, we pack everything up, and we get home. And I unpack. The very first thing I do is I get a hot shower, right? And then I go microwave some nachos because I've been cooking over a fire for three days. And, and I do that. Even though I love doing this, I do that because, oh, it's so nice to not be uncomfortable anymore. Because we don't like being uncomfortable, right? How many people have air conditioning? Like, I was 12 when we got our first window unit at my house, okay? So, you know, like, I get it. I love air conditioning. But somehow I survived without it for 12 years. But I get it because we want to be comfortable. But remember, God is not interested in our comfort. He's interested in our character. Who we are becoming. Are we becoming more like ourselves? Or are we becoming more like Jesus? So where are you? in the storms in your life. Are you asking God to just get you out? Or are you asking God to call you out of the boat to get you to where he wants you to be, right? Because Jesus, remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? He said, God, I don't want to go through this. He said, take this cup from me. That's what he meant. Like, I don't want to have to be crucified. I don't want to have to be beaten. I don't want to have to have the sin of all the world placed on me. He said, but let your will be done, not mine. I don't want to go through these hard things. I don't want to have to deal with financial problems. I don't want to have to deal with health problems, but let your will be done in my life. We forget sometimes what it was that allowed Jesus to go through such terrible storms here on earth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, we do this, and he's talking about uh, uh, our walk with Jesus. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Remember, when Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking across the water. But as soon as he took his eyes off, he started to sink. And what what did the writer of Hebrews just say? We keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you want to get through the storm in your life, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's the joy that Jesus knew was coming that allowed him to die on the cross for us. And it's that joy, that hope, that trust in God that allows us to weather the storms that are in our lives, to accept that God has a purpose for us even in the midst of the difficult times. Will you please stand with me? If you are in a storm in your life right now, I'm gonna invite you to do something here in just a moment. right where you're standing. You don't have to come to the front. For those of you who are online, there's going to be a button in the chat that you can click. If you are in a storm right now in your life and you want to open yourself to what God is doing in this storm right now, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray, pray with you. So everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. This is between you and God. If that's you, raise your hand. Those of you online, again, you can click that button. If you are in a storm and you want to open your life, To what Jesus has for you. For what he wants to do in you through this storm. Rather than just get you out of it. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. We're going to pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for these people that have raised their hand today. Because they are saying, God, I want what you want for me. More than just comfort. More than just safety. I want you to transform me more and more into your image. And I thank you so much that they had the courage to do this, to stand before you and say that. And Father, we just ask that you encourage them, that you strengthen them, that you give them uh, boldness as they go through this, to understand that just because they're in this long middle and they don't yet have their answer, that they don't yet have their miracle, that they don't yet have that freedom that they've been praying for, it doesn't mean that you're not listening and it doesn't mean that you're not there and it doesn't mean that you don't care but it does mean that you are doing something in their hearts. We ask your blessing on all of us today. And Father, I just ask that everybody who is here online in the Unity Hall or watching later will know you more and more truly. I thank you that you are a God who is always with us, even when it doesn't seem like it. And I thank you that you're a God who invites us in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that today, if you raised your hand, or if you've got something else that you're struggling with, this next song we're going to sing, I invite you, I encourage you, open your heart to what God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. Don't just go away today the same as when you came here. Amen.